I'm hoping that an image is going to come up here. And there it is. You know, when it comes to successful preaching, uh, the successful preacher has certain rules that they have to follow. They have certain boxes that have to be ticked. Uh, They should teach. Yeah. They should lead the congregation. They should at times challenge, make us feel a bit uncomfortable. They should also bring some comfort, because we all need a bit of TLC, don't we? Yeah. They should try and share the word of God, that which God has given them. As our minister Keith does uh, each week, the preacher should take a passage of scripture, expand upon it, so that the congregation get a deeper, fresher, newer understanding of the Word of God. And obviously, the successful preacher will also need to consider the liturgical year. If it's December, the chances are that he or she might talk a bit about Nativity or Advent. If it's October, well, maybe we might visit Harvest Thanksgiving. If it's the second Sunday of November, it's a fair bet that we might think about remembrance. There are rules to be followed. But having said that, there are things that the preacher should definitely not do. And one of those things is to confuse the congregation. Well, today I want to break the rules. And those of you who know me well will know that there's nothing new about that. Today, I want to confuse you a bit. Are you ready? Apparently not. That's all right. (laughs) To begin with, instead of one reading, we've had three. And each one of those readings is separate. Each one of those readings is different. Each one of those readings focuses attention on different people in different situations, in different places. But they do have one thing in common. Oh, they may each be different, but they do focus or reflect in some way or another on something called the Holy Spirit. We've got the Holy Spirit doing amazing things to and with and through people. Ezekiel's transformation of the valley of dry bones is an image of life-giving spirit. I love that story, don't you? It's the kind of story that Sunday schools were made for. Amen. The transformation, the spirit sweeping through that valley. Life-giving spirit. In the book of the Acts of the Apostles, The Spirit's at work again, calling Paul to Macedonia, calling Lydia to baptism. And in the Gospel of John that was read so beautifully for us, the Spirit is given to teach, to learning and tuition. And the confusion comes when we take a look at our diaries, when we consider the liturgical year. 
And you'll see that we don't actually celebrate Pentecost until the 9th of June. So Pentecost is five weeks ago, five weeks to go. You haven't caught your breath since Easter yet. So why on earth are we thinking about Pentecost today? Why are we thinking about the Holy Spirit today? We shouldn't be going there for another five weeks. Well, I make no apology for that. And I make no apology for causing any possible confusion. Because Pentecost may be in five weeks' time, but if we're to celebrate it properly, if we're to acknowledge and receive the Spirit of God afresh and anew, I, for one, think we ought to get ready for it, don't you? The answer is yes, Simon. Thank you very much. If you like, we need to do our homework. We need to ready ourselves. Before Christmas, we get a lovely time called Advent. Before Easter, we get Lent. Well, I think that before Pentecost, we could do with a time of preparation in order that we may experience Pentecost in its entire God-given, Spirit-given joy and glory. Many years ago, uh, I had preached what uh, I thought was a, a fairly sort of half-decent, tidy sort of sermon, and uh, I got told off. In fact, more than told off, I got chewed out afterwards. And there was nothing new about that again. And the reason I got told off was because I called the Holy Spirit an it. And a very sweet, very dear elderly lady, you know, all churches happen. Yeah. She came up to me and rather forcibly said, young man, she said, the spirit is a who, definitely not an it. And she was quite right. And I love her to bits. You know, the, the Hebrew word for spirit is ruah which is a feminine word. But the fullness of God is neither male nor female, but simply male and female. And all of that is part of the wonder, the otherness, the mystery of our amazing holy God. And what we mustn't do is try and limit our perception of God. And sure, bye. And surely there's a danger of trying to limit God if we think of him only in male terms. Now, in our three readings today, the Spirit of God is at work, transforming a hopeless people, calling Paul, moving Lydia. But make no bones about it. Don't be sidetracked, don't be disillusioned. This work, this Holy Spirit, is God himself at work. This Holy Spirit is Jesus' gift of continual presence beyond the horrors of Holy Week, beyond the wonder of Easter resurrection. And so today, five weeks ahead of schedule, five weeks before Pentecost, let's focus on the wonder of the Holy Spirit. A few moments ago, I said the Spirit does amazing things to, through, 
and with people. The Holy Spirit does amazing things to and with and through people. How does that make you feel? Mm. I guess some people probably felt a bit uncomfortable. Oh, no. We're going to get all happy clappy. We're going to stick our hands in the air and dance in... Well, why not? Others perhaps felt some amen and hallelujahs rising up. Yeah. Well, whatever's on your heart just now, however or whatever your reaction is to the Spirit's anointing. Perhaps you're uh, charismatically minded, evangelical in the extreme. Amen. Perhaps you're a little more refined, traditional. Well, amen as well. For the Holy Spirit anoints us all. And as we learned earlier, we are all different. But nonetheless, the Holy Spirit wants and longs to anoint the person sitting in your seat today. So let's just have a look at some biblical expressions of the Holy Spirit. In Ezekiel, that spirit is life-giving. Those dead bones were the prophet's view of his own society, a society which had been defeated in exile. Exile that had brought about, or had brought the Hebrew people to the lowest of places. They wept by the waters of Babylon, unable to sing to the Lord in a foreign land. Why? Well, the promise of God to Abraham was that he would father a great many peoples, new nations. And now the people were in exile and that didn't really ring true. The promise of God to Moses, to Joshua, was of a rich and a fertile land as proof of God's blessing. And now that land had been taken, it had been overrun by the Babylonian Empire. And those on whom Ezekiel looked had been carried away into exile, into Babylon. And then the final straw. You ever get that in life? You think life's bad and then something else gives you a whack. Now for these dear people who have lost so much, the final straw, the temple in Jerusalem, lays as rubble. The temple was destroyed. The Holy of Holies, that place in which they had focused their senses on God's eternal presence, had been taken away from them. God, you think you had a bad morning. How do you think they felt? When they got up and looked in the mirror, it was pretty bad, I've got to tell you. And it's amongst those things. It's in those circumstances that Ezekiel lived and prophesied. It was to those people who had lost everything, who were at the lowest of the low. But, I love that word, but, don't you? 
But what they needed to remember and what they needed to realise was that the commitment of God to them wasn't confined to an area, wasn't confined to a certain set of circumstances. God's love for them was complete and was total as it is for us. And God's breath, his spirit enlivened them again. The Spirit, the inspired breath of God, breathed into them new life in all its abundance. Wouldn't you have liked to have been there? Oh, I would. Just to see those bones coming back. A bit scary, yeah. But the hand of God, the breath of God, sweeping through that place... For Ezekiel, God could no more lead the people weeping by the waters of Babylon than he could have ignored their cries in the work camps of the pharaohs. But in the book of Acts, we get a different aspect to the Spirit. Here we've got the Spirit calling people, enlisting people to do God's work. Is Danny gone out? Oh, that's good. Avoid Danny at all costs. He's looking for volunteers. We've got a holiday fun club coming up at the end of the month and we need some more helpers. No excuses. I've told him you are all available. (laughs) The Holy Spirit in the book of Acts calls people to work. And the Holy Spirit is calling you. Notice it's calls, it's not orders... The Holy Spirit doesn't say, you will do this. The Holy Spirit calls us. The Holy Spirit called Paul to Macedonia. The Holy Spirit called Lydia to baptism and hospitality. It's an invitation. It's a constant invitation to be an instrument of God's grace, to be an instrument of God's will and God's teaching. What a privilege! To be called by God to serve God. Oh, I can't. I I don't know what words to use. Oh, I can't because I'm busy that day. Oh, I can't because my shoes are in the menders. We've all made excuses. We'll put them away. God's heard them all too. And God is calling you and you and you and all of us. And the Holy Spirit will and does empower us. He swells our hearts when we're at our best. And he urges us on when we're at our worst. And that Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit that brooded over pre-creation chaos, that brought soothing, purposeful order is the same Spirit who invites participation in the work of God today in the 21st century. Oh, you say, but it is the 21st century. And we've got iPhones and pewters and cars and we've got a wonderful government and we've got Brexit. And we... We more than ever, need the work of the Holy Spirit today. And we, the Church of Jesus Christ, are called by God 
to be his instruments in his world. And there is an answer to Brexit. There is an answer to all those things that concern us, and that answer is God. And we are called to be God's instruments in this his world. And then in John's Gospel, Jesus promises. Hear that, it's a promise. Jesus promises that the Spirit will come alongside us and help us. The Spirit, the Gospel writer says, will come to teach. Now, learning is a journey of discovery. Aren't teachers wonderful? I I love them to bits. I married one. You can't get enough of it, can you? Teachers are wonderful. And here in the Gospel, we are promised the Holy Spirit as a teacher. And learning is a journey of discovery. And willingly or unwillingly, consciously or not, we should be learning all the time. But learning isn't purely a matter of amassing facts, of looking in a textbook, of doing your maths homework on a bank holiday Monday. It's about how we perceive, how we respond to experience. We learn about the heart of God as we experience and deepen our friendship and our relationship with him and explore the life and the ministry of Christ. And to forget that the Spirit teaches us today is at the very least a bit risky, if not just plain stupid. To assume that there's no more for us to discover or rejoice in about God, well, it betrays a lack of respect for the holiness, the grandness, the otherness, and the vast mystery and majesty of God. Put your hand up if you know it all. Yeah, that's interesting. Of course, none of us know all that there is to know. God alone knows. And God wants to teach us afresh and anew. The heart of the true disciple knows that the Spirit will initiate us to further mysteries of faith and exciting opportunities to witness. And praise be, that initiation, it's not a one-off action. It's not a one-off thing. You don't get baptised or saved and that's it. The Spirit continuously initiates us in our pilgrimage in order that we may grow, in order that we may become new, more developed, more mature children of God. And as we change, and as communities change about us, and as the church changes, oh dear, yes, as the church changes, as we experience illness and loss, as we experience love and deep friendships, so the Spirit should be moving within us, in and through each eventuality of life giving us a deeper, fresher understanding and a glimpse of the very heart of God. So there we've highlighted 
some characteristics of the Spirit. The Spirit breathes life into creation. The Spirit inspires those who weep to sing again. The Spirit is God's breath in our life. The Spirit invites us to journey and witness. The Spirit constantly initiates us to be followers of Jesus in the world today. The Spirit doesn't leave us abandoned in stultifying routine. For new every morning is the love, new every day is the invitation. And the Spirit continuously inspires, invites and initiates us today. Of course it's true that occasionally on life's journey we go through bad times. Sometimes those uh, arid valleys are pretty deep, aren't they? Sometimes life is difficult. Sometimes those old bones don't want to shift in the morning. It's true. But be sure God longs to inspire. God longs to breathe new life on us, both individually and corporately as a fellowship. Of course, sadly... There may well be times when we're reluctant to hear the Spirit's word, to hear that glorious invitation for service. But always, every moment of every day, we're in need of a fresh initiation. We're in need of fresh tutoring to know more and more of the wonder of that which is God. So here's a God-given message of encouragement as we prepare for Pentecost. Be ever open to the inspiring, inviting, initiating spirit. For that Holy Spirit is God himself. That Holy Spirit is life and the adventure and the fullness of God within us. You know, I, I was born and brought up in a, a, a pretty rough area of East London. Um, it was the kind of place where you got your watch pinched at one end of the road, but you didn't matter because you could buy it back at the other end. You know, it, it was that kind of place. A great place to live. I loved, I loved it. I loved it. But even there, in that kind of community, within the church, there was a, an amazing vitality, a joy that shone through each and every aspect of church life as the Holy Spirit swept through the place. And, you know, the wonderful thing was that even in the, the roughness of that community, people were drawn to the church. Because they wanted to know more. People were drawn to that place because they realised that there was something very special going on. That there was something that they wanted to be part of. Something that they wanted to own for themselves. It was a wonderful, wonderful place and a wonderful environment to worship. And I pray that that same Holy Spirit will sweep through us here in Linfield, both individually and corporately as a church. I pray that we will be released from that dark 
dark bondage of, of apathy and sin. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will reveal to us the glorious liberty of servanthood as children of God. And when a cranky old minister up the front says, are you glad to be here? The answer will be yes. For we're here to worship God. In the words of the hymn writer, may the chains fall off and may our hearts be set free. May we rise, may we set forth. And may we forever follow him. I said at the beginning that there were some boxes that a successful preacher needed to tick. Here's one. Here's the challenging bit. Are we ready for the work of the Holy Spirit in this place? Are we ready for the work of the Holy Spirit in Linfield United Reformed Church? Here's the comforting bit. If we are ready, God can and God will achieve amazing things in this place, in our midst, with us or without us. What we need to do, what we need to be, is ready and prepared and then we will cry aloud thanks be to God